welcome back to another episode of Mac and D. It feels like we haven't recorded it in so long, but then I was looking at my calendar, it's been like five days. But when you get a routine and then you don't do it every day, it just gets a little wonky. So how are you doing, Jimmy D? No, I'm with you on that one. I was actually thinking right before the pod. I was like, I don't know if I've talked to Mac in, in, in what feels like a week or two. Obviously, it's not been that long, but just too long to see that that bright and shining face. I'm feeling pretty good. I, I think, you know, like anyone over this weekend, I ate way too much. Um, had three consecutive Thanksgiving dinners with different uh, with different people. So we like we went to Jordan's family on Thursday, my family Friday, and then I went to my buddies on Saturday. So I could probably use a salad and, and a good four days off of, of actually eating food. Uh, this was a tough week for fo- my you know my football fandom. The Patriots just they had an okay game. I don't know. I was, I've never been not never, but it's been a long time since I've been that frustrated watching a game. Like it just felt so lopsided on the officiating, and we still had a chance to you know, take control and Nelson Aguilar just didn't feel like running a route on the fourth down. So, you know, there goes the game. That was tough. Obviously the Lions looked like they had a really good chance at beating the Bills, which would have been awesome as a Patriots fan. And they, you know, pulled a Lions. So that just is what it is. Um, but no, it's, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. It's, it was nice to get a long break from work and ready to just get back after it, you know? Yeah, I'm a little scared to open my laptop tomorrow just to see how many emails I have because I haven't checked my laptop since Wednesday. But yeah, I really enjoyed this break as well. And I think that the games on Thanksgiving were a little higher quality than what we're usually used to. Not in terms of outcome because both of our teams lost, but like in terms of how good the games were. All pretty high scoring, all had something exciting going on. Um, it seemed like Justin Jefferson was just like on a heater. He's just continuing to have a great season. And yeah, the Lions, I don't really know what happened there. The clock management towards the end was horrendous. We got saved a little bit because Dan Campbell actually did call timeout. But I don't know what that third and one play call was where they threw it down the sideline. I had some people trying to defend it. And I was like, you're running a fade on third and one. Just run the damn ball. Like, that's a, it's an automatic play at that point. And then, of course, you know, in Lions fashion, we kick the field goal afterwards rather than go for it on fourth and one. So it was really weird. Dan Campbell up until then was like really, really down with going for it on fourth down. And then all of a sudden he switched up on us. So I, I'd be happy to see him leave. But I know a lot of people are still on the Dan Campbell train. I think that's the correct um, response to that game. The, the clock management was just abysmal you can't have it if if you're throwing that fade on third it has to mean you're going for it on fourth because giving the uh the bills you know a minute left to get a field goal it just sounds like a recipe for disaster yeah but was the hunter henry a catch a catch or was it that was a hundred percent a catch that dude i i don't know how you can come back and and just overturn that like every there was nothing that even showed it beyond a beyond a reasonable doubt if you will that he didn't get it and it's like the more they showed it, the more i was like yeah that's a catch like his entire hand was under the ball but so if the ball never hits the ground and he can compl- like at what point was it not a catch I, I just don't understand how at any point they're like that's not a catch now if they would have said hey down at the half yard line because he didn't gain control they felt like until he was on his back i'd have been disappointed but understood it but to say that he didn't catch the ball was just egregious i, I just don't know what they were looking at yeah, it reminded me a lot of like that Calvin Johnson catch that it moved after it hit the ground. But I almost feel like at this point, we need to get a committee of 10 people that don't play football, don't know much about football, have no fandom, and just be like, hey, sit in a room, watch all of these different calls that get made. And if you think it's a catch and a majority of you all say it's a catch, 
then it should be a catch. In this Hunter Henry instance, it felt like nine out of 10 people would easily say, oh, that's a catch just because it's logical. Like he had his hands underneath the ball. It finally hit the ground and then it moved a little. Like, of course he made that catch. Like, I don't know what they were doing. And that what's kind of ended up costing the the Patriots and they lost a lot of their momentum after that. So dumbfounding to me. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll, we'll move on. Yeah, uh, a lot of college football stuff going down this weekend. I got to watch a lot this weekend just with it being Thanksgiving. I love Black Friday football. Uh, and the first and foremost, though, Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines went off this weekend. It was a little bit of J.J. McCarthy, a lot of their backup running backs, and the defense just looked really, really solid. So it looks like right now Michigan might be the contender for making the national championship game against playing against Georgia right now. So what do you think of that one? I, that was really exciting. I, I watched the majority of that game. It was kind of like at the start of when the, the Thanksgiving I went to on Saturday was going on, but we were able to, to catch you know most of it and then you know keep the updates going on our phones. Um, I don't understand Ryan Day's like apprehension of just put pulling back into his zone or you know telling his safeties to stop biting on double moves. But they just, I mean, time and again, we're getting absolutely eaten alive on those double moves. And then you just have a, a Michigan receiver running free for, you know, a 70-yard touchdown. I mean, it's just absolutely brutal. You have to make that team, when you have, you know, the home field advantage, you have to make them sustain long drives. And it was like, they at no point felt the need to do that. They're like, screw it, we're going to gamble for every interception. And, and they didn't get any. So it was just just rough all around. Bad, bad yeah. day for a Buckeye. Yeah, I think that whenever you have a game where you know your corners are just getting burnt day in and day out, like you're mentioning, you have to be willing to go on the opposite end and just try and turn it into a burn burner. And Ryan Day was so hesitant during this game. He has arguably, going into this week, he had arguably the Heisman candidate front runner in CJ Stroud. He had maybe the Heisman candidate second front runner and Marvin Harrison Jr. And instead of running like big over the top plays, he just kept running these little screen passes or bubble screens. I was like, dude, what are you doing at this point? And then they fell behind 45-23. They kicked a field goal while the Michigan just kept scoring touchdowns. And that's all she wrote. So um, at this point, though, I'm curious, Jimmy D, who do you have in your college football playoff top four? The season ended today. No more projections. Just like who would you have going into this week? Okay, well, I mean, the easiest ones are obviously Michigan and Georgia. Mm-hmm. right then after that uh, i'd have to see where where it lays out um i guess i'm, I'm trying to think of like I, I don't know all the results from this week and it's been kind of a a blur but i'm just gonna pull up you know different records here um tcu makes sense undefeated i'd put them yeah. in and then i guess the the tough part becomes you know right between usc and ohio state that's like the last one win teams um i don't know USC's like who is their loss to I guess do you, do you know off the top of your head yeah it was Utah on a last second two-point conversion Utah's okay. obviously a quality team they're going to be in the Pac-12 title game against USC this weekend yeah I, I, I you almost think if it stops right now just by virtue of Ohio State getting bounced by Michigan you, you almost keep them out of the playoffs um but I, I wouldn't be surprised if if they found a way to to get back in I, I that's the one where the, you know the, the college football playoff committee. I don't I don't know how they they pick. I don't think anyone actually does, right? Um, but there just seems to be some logical ones. Like the years when Alabama is able to get back in, it's like, but the team that beat them is already in the playoffs. Like Alabama, kind of by virtue, shouldn't be in there because it's proven that one of these teams already took them out. Obviously, Bama then ends up you know going on a two game win streak and, and winning it all. So it's like, see, they should have been there. It's like, yeah, but if you're not going to have like a, a true 
way of going in the playoffs you, you kind of have to find a way to eliminate people by virtue of like if you don't win your conference you're just kind of out of there um so that, like that's how i feel about how to say like they shouldn't get back in because they can't win the conference at this point but uh you know they they might i, I think what they have right now with georgia michigan tcu usc makes the most sense but we'll, we'll see how it shakes after the conference championship week yeah that's what's going to be a little bit awkward is okay so if michigan or georgia or tcu lose this weekend and their championship games i don't think a lot changes i think even with an lsu loss georgia still makes it tcu even with losing to k-state that's still a quality team michigan that'd be like the weirder one because it's purdue and like purdue's good don't get me wrong like nebraska lost to them did illinois also lose to purdue or am i imagining that they did unfortunately those <laughs> yeah those are the two games Illinois definitely should have won between purdue and michigan state exactly oh we, we didn't even mention you're welcome for that nebraska win we gave you guys an opportunity to get to I the know, indiana didn't do their job illinois played hard this weekend but indiana didn't do their job unfortunate so i think those top three teams are safe um trying to round it back here but i think that fourth slot is going to be a little bit interesting especially if usc loses because then they would be a two loss team and then it's like do we put ohio state in there they didn't win their conference nor their division do we put bama up there same thing that they didn't win their conference nor their division so that's where things are going to get really interesting to me and it's going to be really interesting on tuesday night to see where exactly they place all these teams because they're going to have a really hard time justifying oh, because both of these teams were idle, let's move one team ahead of another. Like, this is going to be very set in stone on, like, where teams are going to move and who's going to move up, uh, kind of like rising tides sort of thing, moving up into that fourth slot. So I'm going to be very curious to see what happens. There's not a lot of precedent for this kind of situation. This year has a lot of mayhem. But uh, the whole losses this weekend by the Tiger teams, LSU and Clemson, just muddied this even more so. So it's going to be very hectic going into this very last Right, U- USC losing would introduce the most chaos because at that point, okay, I think the logical team would be Ohio State in the sense that they only have one loss. At the same time, it's like, are you really going to put a team that their last game of the year was a loss back into the playoffs versus maybe another team or... Are they just going to do the classic, oh, sweet, this opens the door for Bama. Let's just slot them in. Yeah, truly. I I have a question for you. So this guy was in our mentions this weekend on Twitter, and I was getting a little bit of a back and forth with him. He was more troll than he was, like, genuine, like, asking a question. Usually if people are in our mentions asking questions, I'll be civil with them. But this guy was like, oh, Ohio State got blown out. Do you think a 22-point loss is a blowout? It is when it's a rivalry game. When, you, when you're the number two team in the country, a 22-point loss absolutely is a blowout. But I I was arguing that 22 points is a good amount. It's not a ton. I, I honestly think that the baseline is like 28 points. But if you look at like the underlying statistics, like they were dead even on yards. They were dead even everywhere. The only thing that was different was turnovers. So a little bit of different luck going either direction. I wasn't fully on board on calling that a blowout if we're not willing to call like Tennessee uh, losing to um, Tennessee losing to Georgia a blowout or Alabama losing twice this year kind of like a blowout sort of situation. Like there are multiple games where the the context matters a little bit more than that final result. And I don't know, like yes, the games are po- played with like points at the end of the day, but like just because the Jacksonville Jaguars have a positive point differential right now doesn't make them a good team in my mind. So yeah, well, I, I think part of it though too is like. The fact that they were down by over 20 for pretty much what felt like the entire second half, right? Like, it, like they didn't come out in the second half, and that's what made it feel like a, a blowout. They, you know, they only put up three points, even though they were leading, either leading or tied going into halftime. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what makes it feel like they feel like they only played one half of football. And if it would have just been like 
casually over the course of the game they were holding their own but michigan was just able to get you know an additional seven points then they'd like you know ohio state tried to do something crazy to to get it close you know like in the last one of the last play or last a series of the game and it was like a pick six or something then that's not a blow but like they just they got dog walked out of there like it was all offensive points for michigan um you know you're in the big house you, you got to be able to put up a bigger fight than that you have that entire crowd just screaming the entire time you know the whole stadium's painted red except for like one tiny little section that somehow was able to get some michigan tickets um yeah it's, that's that's a blowout in my books i think the narrative's bad and like it makes me wonder if this game was played earlier in the season rather than always in rivalry week like if we'd be having a different conversation because like it's pretty apparent at this point that USC is really benefiting from the fact that their loss to Utah was in like week three or four, whatever that was. So like you mentioned, a lot of it's like recency. What have you done for me lately sort of situation? And that's just kind of inherent. Like there's always that good narrative of, oh, this team's been improving. They're a different team now. And that's going to always be fresh in that committee's mind. So uh, we can move on though. Who's your favorite right now for the Heisman? Who are you liking? So after this week, with CJ Stroud not having all that great of a game, USC kind of continuing to uh, propel, you know, if they get into the playoffs, it, it almost has to fall to Caleb Williams at that point, doesn't it? He didn't have an incredible week, but USC keeps winning. It, it's all on his shoulders, more or less. Uh, they had a good win against Notre Dame, who's a pretty hot or cold type team, but plays up to their competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you win your conference championship, it it, it, to me, it almost is like de facto. It, it becomes Caleb Williams at that point, especially with it being more or less just a quarterback or a, a quarterback's trophy, kind of like MVP in the NFL. Yeah, I have to fully agree. And I, I would rather be a little bit more contrarian in this sort of situation, but I truly can't. It, it really comes down to, in my mind right now, CJ Stroud versus Caleb Williams. I, I did like Drake May for a while out of UNC. I think he's also going to be a really good NFL prospect down the road. But with them losing this past weekend, like I really can't in good faith have him in that top two. But the difference maker really at this point is the on-the-ground uh, sort of production. CJ Stroud has all the athleticism to be a good runner, but he just really hasn't been getting out there as much as Caleb Williams has. And Caleb Williams this past weekend had three rushing touchdowns. He puts his total up to six on the season. So that's been the difference maker to me. It's really razor thin. And a lot of people have been talking about like Marvin Harrison Jr. being up there. I don't think he has the statistics. Like it took Devonte Smith a couple of years ago to like 1900 yards in order to win the Heisman. And Marvin Harrison Jr. just isn't there yet. Yes, he has a lot of touchdowns and he has a lot of highlight plays. I just don't think that he can uh, kind of pass that bar of what you need in order to be a wide receiver Heisman winner. And Caleb Williams has just been insane. He's had the Heisman moments. He has all the all the hype up around him right now. I think it's going to be pretty easily Caleb Williams whenever we get to it. But it is kind of a weird year for Heisman. For more, sure. more importantly, how is Chase Brown not at least invited to the ceremony? Dude, I don't know, man. It's an Illinois bias. <laughs> All right, and then in terms of off-the-field stuff, a lot of the coaching carousel things were going down this weekend. Uh, A few hours ago, Luke Fickle, the Cincinnati coach, got announced that he's going to go to Wisconsin. And then sticking the Big Ten, Matt Rule, who we had talked about earlier this season in terms of uh, coaches in the NFL, uh, he got fired by the Carolina Panthers, and he signed on with the Nebraska Cornhuskers earlier today as well. So um, out of these two, which hire do you like a little bit more? I, you know, I'm not sure. Pro- probably fickle just because of how great like, it feels like a more of a momentum hire, right? Like the Cincinnati's really been just having year after year great seasons. 
whereas rules coming off just really reeling in the NFL, kind of an absolute failure uh, as an NFL coach. Granted, it, it's that's not the end of the world. Obviously, Saban proved you can still be a great uh, college coach even after a bad stint in the NFL. Um, I think it's a big hire for both of these programs. Like Wisconsin's been floundering, Nebraska's been floundering. Like they both kind of need some juice injected into their system, and, and hopefully this is the trick for both those programs. Yeah, I fully agree. I think Fickle's a little bit more high profile at this point. I was really shocked that uh, Wisconsin was able to hire him away. Like it really felt like to me that Cincinnati was honestly almost a better job at this point because next year Cincinnati starts up in the Big 12. They're moving away from that group of five and moving it to the Power Five. Fickle has been to the college football playoff with Cincinnati, whereas Wisconsin's never been even that close to making it. This shocked me a little bit. Like if I thought if Fickle was going to leave, it was going to be for like an Auburn type of job or I, if Ryan, if Ryan Day got in hot water in Ohio State, which it seems like after this weekend he might, he would sign on back on there because Fickle used to be the coach at Ohio State. So I, I thought that he would go for something really big if he were going to leave Cincinnati. He was like basically the mayor in Cincinnati. Everybody there loves him. But uh, he decided to go up to a more stable conference, I guess, at this point. And uh, on your Matt Rule point, yes, he flamed out. I blame a little bit more on the ownership and how bad that whole situation's been with the GM, et cetera. Um, but, yeah, he definitely didn't have a great uh, time with Carolina. So I worry a little bit with that. They also gave him a nine-year, I think it was $80 million contract. So they gave him the the Gruden deal, which makes me a little bit concerned, given how much money they just had to give Scott Frost to go away. So hopefully this one works out better, but I, I'm done trying to predict college football hires because it, it either goes one direction or the other, and it's really hard to tell between the two. So. Yeah, and, I mean, Matt Rule's going to be making like $17 million next year because he's still getting paid out by Carolina as well. So that dude is, I mean, just rolling in cash yeah he basically took money to coach this year whereas he could have made the exact same amount of money uh to coach next year if he just would have sat on his couch he, he could have done either option and made the same amount of money so this is a bit of an interesting one for me but good for him he respects that grind all righty next uh lots of injuries happened over the last few days specifically to running backs and quarterbacks it felt like uh, I'll just run through them real quick, and you tell me which ones you think are pretty impactful. Uh, Raheem Mostert didn't play today, kind of leading to Jeff Wilson Jr. getting the majority of the snaps, Miles Gaskin getting a little bit. Uh, Lenny Fournette went down. Um, he didn't end up playing this week, or Rashad White was the lead back. Travis Etienne went down pretty early in this game, and Jermichael Hasty was the main beneficiary. Elijah Mitchell didn't play much today because of an injury. CMC played a lot instead. Joe Mixon didn't play today because of a concussion. We saw a lot of Samaj P. Ryan. And then Damien Harris got hurt on Thanksgiving as well, so we saw more Stevenson. So which one of these do you think is the best situation to take advantage of? That's t- I, Maybe the ETN one because that one's the most uh, you know murky, if you will. It's a foot injury, which is awful for a running back. We don't know if he's going to you know, be out for a long period of time, if it was just uh, just for today. Um, and, and in that case, there's no real head back there. Like it, it looks like maybe it'd be Jermichael Hasty at that point, who obviously there's no way anyone owns him. So like that's you know your chance to get a, kind of a late waiver wire uh, RB two potentially. Leonard Fournette that that was expected. Moster is kind of always on or off. Uh, Damian Harris, that one hurts the Patriots more than it hurts your fantasy team because I don't think too many people have really been starting him. But when Damian's in, we're just a better team, so that that sucks overall. And Mixon should be back before too long. It's not just a concussion, but as far as like timeline goes, concussions are usually one or two weeks at most. So he should be back this week or next. 
Yeah, I have to agree with the ETN one here. Just looking at their depth chart, there's just not a lot there. Hasty is fine. Once again, a weird San Francisco transplant. I actually started him in a 32-team league today, so I looked like a genius because of that one. He's on my bench um, in a 32-team league. Damn, should have started him. Um, and then besides that, it's uh, Daryl Henderson, who we're going to bring up here in a bit. He got cut by the LA Rams, and then he just wasn't able to suit up today. Hopefully he'll be able to suit up in the future. But like right now, that running back room is looking paper thin. Dude, how so. wild is it, though, that Henderson gets cut before Cam Akers for the Rams? Like That, that was such a weird situation. It still kind of is. Yeah, it's still weird. And then we'll get into it a little bit more here in a bit, too. But James Robinson with the healthy scratch today. So it's like, why did you trade James Robinson away if your room was so small already with Jacksonville Jaguars? So it's like, and, and why'd you go get him if he's not going to play? Exactly. Like All these teams are just like not looking very uh, looking forward at this point. They're just really getting prisoner of the moment. So weird situations with running backs. Lots of new quarterbacks today as well. Uh, Perkins suited up for the Rams. Mike White played for the Jets. Trevor Simeon played for the Chicago Bears. Heineke played for the Washington Commanders. Kyle Allen played looked awful today for the Houston Texans and Sam Darnold balled out for the Carolina Panthers so which is your favorite out of all these just random ass names that we're playing today yeah Magic Mike White looked very good today uh he didn't try to do too much he got you know balls on time to their playmakers and the Jets just popped off against a Bears team that is reeling they, they had like two corners and you know during the broadcast we're talking about how they want to do a lot of three high safety looks and then, like, in the first quarter, Eddie Jackson gets hurt, and they didn't have enough safeties to even run a three-high safety. So that was just a rough time for to be a Bears fan. If they do it again next week, now you're feeling really good as a, as a Jets fan. You know, you found a guy that's just not turning the ball over and, and letting your team do what it can do, which is dominate on defense and have explosive plays on offense. Sam Darnold feels good because this dude just did not have a good opportunity. I, I feel like between going from Adam Gase to uh, Matt Rule and just – the, the teams he's been on have been rough. So hopefully for his sake, he can really turn this into like a promising backup career where he gets different opportunities to, to showcase and kind of work on himself. And then Taylor Heineke, not a great fantasy asset, but that team just wins when he's in the lineup. So it's really exciting uh, when he's out there. Yeah, Heineke doesn't put up big stats, but he's able to get guys in the right situation where they need to have it. Brian Robinson Jr. had a great catch on the sideline today that he took in for a touchdown. And I was like, that's just Heineke, just guiding him to be in the right spot. So that was pretty beautiful. Uh, I love the Mike White play today because I had so many friends texting me today. They were like, why is Mike White starting over Joe Flacco? Like Joe Flacco looked pretty damn good to start the season. And then Mike White just said, fuck the haters and went off for a very good game today, which we'll get into with our winners and losers. Uh, on the cutting side of things, a lot of weird decisions made by teams this week. Melvin Gordon got cut by the Denver Broncos. Kind of, we'll have to see where he ends up getting picked up. Eno Benjamin got cut by the Arizona Cardinals. Apparently he got in some sort of spat or fight with someone on their staff and very weird situation. Um, once again, a very weak running back room for the Arizona Cardinals. So that one was a little bit dumbfounding. And then Daryl Henderson, as we mentioned, he got cut and James Robinson was a healthy scratch as well today for the New York Jets. So I, I, I'm not a NFL GM. I'm not a coach, but like if you have guys with experience that still have a lot of upside, I think I'm just really mainly talking about, you know, Benjamin and James Robinson here. I don't know why you cut any of these guys whenever you could probably end up just like trading them in the offseason or something for something valuable. So a lot of these are very confusing to me. What do you think? Eno's the, the most confusing. He must have like legitimately punched someone on that staff, right, for them to actually cut him because James Conner is absolutely a glass cannon type running back. 
and Benjamin's a rookie, right? And like he's proven that he can really figure it out back there. I mean, he got snapped up immediately off of waivers by the Texans because you have a one-two punch with two very young running backs at this point. So you can tell like the Texans are going to build around Damian Pierce and, and you know Benjamin going forward. Uh, I, I don't get it out of the Cardinals again unless it was like it just absolutely egregious what happened. Yeah, it's just so weird whenever you have a guy who is on one of your rosters. I still had Eno Benjamin on a couple of my rosters, and he doesn't get cut from my fantasy team. First, he got cut from an actual team, which like is just very strange for me to see. So weird situations going around the NFL. Uh, speaking of weird, uh, Odell Beckham got kicked off a plane today. I don't know if you saw this story. Apparently, he was like asleep and was in and out of consciousness, according to the police report. And they had to have the police come around and kick him off the plane. So a weird situation. And the, the the situations in terms of NFL teams just keep getting weirder and weirder. The Jacksonville Jaguars won against the Baltimore Ravens. The Browns won in a exciting game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which I know you weren't thrilled about. The Jets won with Mike White, and the Broncos lost to the Panthers. So just weird, weird, weird all around the league this week. All right, let's get to winners and losers for this week, starting with Josh Allen, balled out on Thanksgiving against my Detroit Lions. Sad. Uh Kyler Murray had 26 points. Mike White, as you mentioned, had 25. And Trevor Lawrence, just want to give him a little bit of a shout-out. Seems like he was turning a corner against the Baltimore Ravens today. He had 25 points. So which of these situations do you like the most going forward? It's got to be Mike White, right? He's the only one that's available if you're in a two-quarterback league or if you're just in a league where, you know, you're kind of just streaming quarterbacks. He's an easy pickup to just kind of find good matchups. And if you're in a TQB league and you're just struggling, like you were starting a Davis Mills or a Jacoby Brissett who won't be playing anymore, like that's the, like a go-to easy pickup in my books. Yeah, fully agree. I think all these other guys are probably be way too high of roster percentage in order for you to go get. And I know a lot of leagues have the the deadlines, the trade deadlines that have passed. But I feel like if you're in a, in a league that has a playoff uh, breakdown as your uh, trade deadline. I think Trevor Lawrence is a guy that you should be willing to go out and get. I really feel like he had some big throws today, especially in the fourth quarter. There's like a third and 21 that they were able to uh, convert, and it was really impressive. I've kind of dogged on Trevor Lawrence in the past. is just like not really living up to the hype, but he looked pretty dang good today. So I think he's someone um, that you should go get, especially with how in flux their running game is at this point. They're going to have to pass, pass, pass all the time going forward if they want to potentially be in contention for a playoff spot so on the loser side a lot of weird situations today heineke only had 12 points russell wilson looked awful today and had eight points and then the big the big zero zach wilson today didn't even suit up for the new york jets and obviously had zero points so what do you think of it here no i appreciate it i put zach wilson on there to see if i could get a chuckle out of you and, and all you played with was, was a good old-fashioned lull on that one because we were both kind of the same mindset like if you're Zach Wilson on that sideline, you know your time with the Jets is over at, at this point. I mean, uh, the guy that started the season as a third stringer comes in and just absolutely balls out, and in the rain, no less, and you couldn't figure it out. You know, you could you average, what, 2.8 inches of play? Even though it's against a good Patriots defense, like, you're just missing wide-open throws, and all this team needs is someone to just get the ball out accurately. They don't need you to win the game. They just need you to not lose the game. Um but now they got Mike, who's like just slinging all over the yard. Tough on Zach. We said that Heineke's a winner, but not a fantasy winner. And then Russ, like, there was a meme going around. That's like the the MVP of the Bears is actually Pete Carroll because he he nixed the Bears uh, trade for Russell Wilson when the Seahawks okayed it. It's like three first rounders, a third rounder, and a couple of players. 
like how awful would the Bears franchise be right now if they didn't have like the slight glimmer of hope in Justin Fields and like instead it was uh, Russell Wilson and, and no draft picks going forward. If if the Broncos cut Russell Wilson today or before June 1st, it's only $39 million dead cap hit. Not too bad. Looks a little bit better than playing Russell Wilson. Who do you, Seriously though, who do you think is going to be the New York Jets quarterback going into the next year? Who do you think will end up being the starter if Zach Wilson's not there? Uh, maybe Jimmy G. I mean, are, are the Niners saddled up to to Trey Lance at this point? Like they kind of have to be, don't they? They they invested so much capital into him. Uh, they were just lucky that Jimmy G was willing to come back this year and, and save their ass. Um, but you know, at some point he's going to let someone else give the bag to him, and, and the Jets seem like a good candidate for that. Um, I, I've almost even heard some sneaking like, uh, does Tom go to the uh, the Jets to try to ride it Ooh. out, get a get a win with you know a, a very powerful offense and a good defense? Yeah. Um, after after that, I'm trying to think. I don't think it's going to be someone in the draft. They're going to they're not going to have a high enough draft pick to get some of the elite guys. Like they might snag a, a second or third rounder and try to get a veteran like a Jimmy G or a Tom Brady uh, and see what happens. Yeah, I think a developmental quarterback would be really solid for them in the second or third round. This is honestly one of my favorite like Derek Carr situations if the Raiders are deciding to blow it all up and just tank for the next few years. I think Derek Carr would fit very well right next to Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore, and some of these other guys that look really, really good whenever they're, whenever they're not playing with Zach Wilson. And I think Derek Carr could fit in pretty nicely with this team. So is Zach Wilson a future Panthers quarterback, or where, like where does he go? God, that's a tough situation, too. I could see him going. Uh, Panthers wouldn't be bad, but like I think Panthers are going to be bad enough to get a top quarterback. Let me let me look at Tankathon real quick to see who's at the very top right now. Maybe Texans, right? 1-8-1. Yeah. Like 1-9-1 at this point. Yeah, but they're going to get a quarterback for sure. Let me think. I mean, honestly, like if Lamar leaves, do you think like... The Ravens try. There's no way that the Ravens don't tag him unless Lamar just comes out adamantly saying, look, I will not play under the tag. So, like, if you do that, I'll just pull Deshaun and sit out for two years. Um, yeah. I, so, if if Lamar becomes available, I could see the Jets literally doing anything short of, like, handing him 100% ownership of the team to, to get Lamar in the building. Yeah. Maybe they do kind of like that Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford trade, whereas Goff and Stuff – for Matthew Stafford, maybe it's like Zach Wilson and stuff for Lamar. Like, I wouldn't hate that, honestly. I uh, would if I was a Raven. Yeah, but like, if you, he doesn't want to play there anymore, you got to get what you can get. Uh, Indy, I think, would make a lot of sense. Zach Wilson in Indianapolis, they like their bridge one-year tall white quarterback. So I feel like that could maybe fit. I don't know. It's going to be a weird situation. Zach Wilson has a lot to fix with his the, the issue is that right has now. no he has no prior like victory or you know like success under his belt right like indy got matt ryan they got carson Wentz, they got philip rivers like all guys that have shown flashes like zach hasn't shown flashes all he's shown is incompetence to this point yeah zach wilson was fifth on my quarterback draft board going into that year i know that doesn't mean a lot but like there were a lot of people, myself included, that saw the errors and the flaws of Zach Wilson, and they're really, really living out right now. Let's go to the running back winners, kind of going back to our usual segment here. Uh, Josh Jacobs had a huge day today, including a running back to uh, or touchdown to win the game. Uh, and 
PPR scoring, he had 48 points today. Yeah, Josh Jacobs won you your week before the 80-yard touchdown to win the game in overtime. So, I mean, just if you had Josh Jacobs, you're riding cloud nine right now. Yeah, he literally was RB1, even without the big run. So, a huge game for Josh Jacobs. Jermichael Hasty had 18 points, and Brian Robinson had 20 points today. So, uh, interesting guys at the top, but God, Josh Jacobs was so freaking good. Yeah, cool. and I think maybe we could put like Ramondre Stevenson at 20 on here. Like, it was a lot of like 20, like high floor guys, but not a ton of real huge performances, except for Josh Jacobs, who popped all the way off. Cause like you could have Pacheco on here. You know, he had a ton of carries, 60 to 80 yards and a touchdown. Like, he had a good performance. Um, uh, like, uh, Latavius Murray filled in adequately. He, you know, it was looking really good. He had 80 yards at half, but they were just down and stopped running the ball for that, which was depressing for people like me who started him. Samaji yeah. P. Ryan had, like, another 18 or 19-point week. Yeah. So there's a lot of good floor running backs, but Josh Jacobs was the only real, he just popped all the way off running back. Yeah, in the afternoon games, late afternoon games, Austin Eckler finished with 25 as well. James Conner had 21, both getting receiving touchdowns, which helped them uh, out Kenneth a lot, Walker though. had like 18 or 19, right? Like not a lot of yards, but two touchdowns. Yeah, a lot of guys making it happen through the air today. So I don't think anyone was like too disappointed with their top, top guys. On the loser side of the running backs, though, uh, we had Damian Harris with two points. He exited early, so not a huge surprise. Damian Pierce just over the last like seven or eight quarters has just been awful. He had three points today for the Houston Texans game script hurt them a lot. The dolphins were just running up the score. And then Michael Carter, who kind of looked like he was in line for a big day today with James Robinson, not playing. He only finished with six points today. His projected on ESPN was like 15 or 16. So he really yeah, didn't Knight take position. all of his work. Was it was like, what was the guy's name? Um, Zonovan, Zonovan. Knight. Yeah, Zonovan Knight. Just they're like, what if, what if we get him twenty carries today and tell Michael Carr to get lost? Just, yeah, even weird. Even Ty Johnson played a lot better than him. A very weird situation. Robert Sala is just giving it to whoever. I have I know absolutely nothing about Zonovan Knight, but Google is telling me his nickname is Bam. So I think he's going to be good. I like him a lot already. Uh, wide receiver, we had some big winners today as well. Justin Jefferson on Thursday finished with 29 points. Chris Godwin really returning for, returning to form. He had 29 points. And then Mon Ra also on Thanksgiving had 28 points. So what do you think of Chris Godwin's performance? You watched a lot of that. Box yeah, I, I like to see him get usage like that. He's really starting to look like Chris Godwin, you know, post knee followed by post like hamstring injury. Right, and that's just it's big for Tom to have a slot receiver that can produce like that. Honestly, there was a lot of points in that game where it was like they were trying to force the ball to Evans, and it was like it's not working. Let Evans continue to distract and, and just keep getting Godwin these ten yard catches over the middle, but um, that's just not the case. That's that's not the uh, the Byron Leftwich offense. So you know you can't can't change your script mid game. You gotta you gotta force it if the game plans go to Evans. So. Um, it's, it's, it's just good to see Godwin play well, I think for, for football fans. Yeah. Just getting a lot of targets, definitely returning to form after all the injuries that he's had like that a lot. As you mentioned though, Mike Evans, a bit of a loser today. He only had five points. Tyler Boyd only had four points today. T Higgins and Hayden Hurst were getting all the targets today. And then Curtis Samuel finishing with only one point. He's been kind of disappointing lately and, just to kind of forewarn, he's in our cut him off uh, segment later in the show. So what do you think of these guys? Today? If you get nine targets out of Mike Evans, you're expecting a little bit more than five points. He he looked a little tired, a little slow on some of those routes in the fourth quarter and, and overtime. And, and that hurt them because they really needed a, you know, a big play out of, out of Mike to, to kind of seal the deal. And it just never happened. 
Um, Curtis Samuel, yeah, it, we kind of said it. Once Tyler Haneke became the starter, it was obviously going to go back to Terry McLaurin getting a lot of the targets. Like He just kind of has a better rapport with, uh, with McLaurin. And then Tyler Boyd, it's just boomer bust, Boyd. It is what it is. You're going to have the 30-point week. You're going to have the four-point week. You just got to hope you pick the right week. Yeah, I think the hard part with Boyd, though, is like this isn't like the first time he's busted, and it's been happening over the last few weeks. Um, the last two weeks, uh, or actually the last four weeks, excuse me, hasn't even cracked 50 yards, and he's only had one touchdown over that stint. And we really expected him, whenever Jamar Chase went down, to have big, big weeks, and now Chase looks like he's going to be back for sure this upcoming week. This week was a little up in the air. So I'm kind of out on Boyd, a little bit disappointed. For whatever reason, he seems to play better whenever he has less attention on him, whenever he has other wide receivers that are able to take the top-tier corners away from him. So, uh, yeah, just kind of a bust of the last few weeks for Boyd. Not yeah, what the, I the best thing you could have done with Boyd was trade him the second Jamar went down right like there's no chance he was going to live up to the hype that people were giving him you know he's going to replace all of Jamar's targets and it's like that I don't think was ever going to be the plan obviously they started using Mixon and P Ryan a lot more so if he could have you know turned him into an RB2 or something that would have been about the best case scenario I think yeah it's really just unfortunate honestly uh, at tight end, we had some normal kind of weird, I don't know. Tight end is just such a black box at this point. Dalton Schultz finished with 19 points. Not too weird. TJ Hawkinson had 15 points. And then Josh Oliver, for whatever reason, just Baltimore Ravens tight ends just keep me growing on trees. Uh, we had likely sitting out today, but Mark Andrews still played. But Josh Oliver finished with 18 points. So, And I also had to throw in there, Hunter Henry had 15 points and... Definitely would have been higher than that if you got there that. Should have been another another eight points on there, but whatever. Yeah. So what are you gonna do? So uh, do you think Josh Oliver has staying power in this Baltimore offense? I don't know about staying power, but I did look up his past weeks, and he is getting. It's not like this was the first time he got targets all season. It's like he's been progressively getting more and more targets. So it was like he got a couple the first you know few weeks, and then like three, four, and now he's getting six. So. You can see the the momentum growing for him as as a, a receiver, and hopefully, it stays that way if you're if you're getting him. Um, but it's still tough when you have Mark Andrews, um, uh, you know, kind of lining up across from you to expect constant production like that. Yeah, and also Travis Kelsey also had 15 points, so he is inevitable. Yeah, Kelsey Don't was saved off. by a a 38 yard touchdown grab because otherwise he was shut down today. He looked really good on that run, though. It was a classic. Well, there was just no need to throw the ball. Like the, the Rams were not going to score points. It was pretty obvious. They had Perkins at quarterback. It's yeah. so like the, the Chiefs played a very conservative, let Pacheco take all the hits kind of game today, and it, it worked out okay. That Rams game was just kind of pathetic because of all the injuries that they've had and just like the limitations that Bryce Perkins has. Like every single time it felt like he was just like looking to hand it off and they never had any explosive plays except for that one touchdown that uh, Van Jefferson caught. So it was just really weird. On the loser side, classic tight end losers. Dawson Knox had three points. Mike Gesicki had zero points. And Tyler Higby, with the aforementioned Perkins as his quarterback, finished with zero points as well. Honestly, forgot that Higby was even a player. He was he was hurt today, like he had a knee injury going into the day, but he did play, and he just had a huge disappearing act. So no no point in belaboring the tight ends. Nope. In terms of cut-em-off candidates, this is our, uh, our segment to look at guys that you should be cutting off. 
not no longer rosterable and you should be picking up other people on your waiver wire that have much higher upside uh to start off the segment maybe a bit of a hot take but i'm 100 on deandre swift at this point which really sucks because i was drafting him in the late first round early second round during the season but you got to cut your losses at some point i think that going forward it's going to continue to be more and more jamal williams as dan campbell tries to save his job as he tries to go with more and more of his guys do I think it's defensible? No. Do I think the Lions kind of realize that maybe Swift isn't part of this team going forward? Maybe. And I could totally see them continue their trend of just drafting second-round quarterbacks. We, we've seen it many years. We've seen it with Mikel Ashore. We saw it with Javid Best. We saw it with Amir Abdullah moving on really quickly from on Johnson. Like These are all guys that saw success, and then the Lions just kind of like cast aside. So I would not be surprised if DeAndre Swift is not a part of this team going forward. And he, yeah, he had 10 points to, uh, this past week, but like, it's just not really moving the needle. And I don't think his upside's any higher than that whenever he's only getting two or three carries a game. So I'm out on DeAndre Swift. Yeah, two points. One, you said quarterbacks, but meant, meant second round running backs for the Lions. Yeah. So just want to highlight that. Um, I, I don't think you cut him. I think you trade bait him, though. So if there's someone you want to get and it feels pretty even or, or maybe like the guy you're wanting to ship off just doesn't quite move it, I think tossing in DeAndre Swift definitely moves needles it's a big name and it's not someone that's really doing much for you so if you're trying to kind of consolidate talent right before your playoff push i think he's a guy you could definitely throw into some trades and get him done pretty easily that makes your team better and and honestly makes a different playoff contender or someone trying to make that final push honestly potentially worse because yes swift is he might have one more big game in him but there's going to be plenty of these like for some reason jamal williams is in in big moments and it's like D Swift is clearly the superior talent. You know, we're talking about it during the game. Like he's he's still explosive out there. It's just the Lions don't trust him for whatever reason. So it's it's tough to reliably start him. Yeah, his usage is so limited at this point. And he dropped a pass on the goal line. Granted, it got knocked out of his hands a little bit, but those are the things that Dan Campbell shown in the past. So he's really ticky tacky about. And also, it's just kind of crazy that in week one, DeAndre Swift had 15 carries, and since then he hasn't cracked double digit carries. And that week one was incredible. He had 144 yards. He had 27 fantasy points. And it's just been straight downhill from there. So what a frustrating, frustrating player that I think a lot of it's just been out of his control, whether that's coaching decisions or injuries. So very, very weird. Uh, Other guys that I'm willing to let go, uh, the aforementioned Curtis Samuel. He's just not been doing a lot lately. Um, He had those first few weeks where he was arguably like a wide receiver one type of player. And ever since then, he's just been really, really slow. Um, Jahan Dotson's been getting healthier. And with Heineke, like that's just not his preferred receiver at this point. So I'm kind of out on Curtis Samuel as a guy. For sure. Curtis Samuel, we thought was maybe going to be this year's Debo Samuel, right? Super late, maybe even waiver wire type pickup. That's just getting a ton of really creative usage out of that offense. And then by week three, it just absolutely died just right there on the spot. Uh, at this point, yeah, he, he's not getting the usage to to justify keeping him on your team. Uh, and similarly to kind of our, our third guy here, I picked, put James Robinson on this list. I, I'm not really keen on keeping people on my roster that are healthy scratches. That that means the team's not really wanting to use them. The, the Jets showed three pretty, uh, I would say, competent running backs today to where it's like, do I really want the fourth option in a running back by committee of four different running backs. No, I'll, I'll go find someone with it with a lot more upside. Uh, so yeah, I'm on my own James Robinson, which is really unfortunate because he started this year as a, a legit RB one. 
Yeah, and like as we're going into playoff time, like there's a lot of hard decisions that you have to make. And I think honestly at this point, you'd rather let go of a guy a little bit too early rather than someone a little bit too late. Like I think if you didn't drop Curtis Samuel previously, you're already kind of kicking yourself. Like he had zero catches today. So he's more of a running back at this point, which is very strange. Uh, speaking of hard decisions, waiver ads this week, a lot of interesting options, but we decided to go a little bit outside the box with a few of these, starting with quarterbacks. So you want to start us off? Yeah, I've mentioned it before in our our winners. I think you got to go get Magic Mike if if you're struggling at quarterback. He's like we've seen it before. He's had these huge weeks, and he'll fall him up with absolute stinkers. the The difference being he hasn't had the amount of talent in years past he has this year. Tyler Conklin is a great tight end. Uh, you know, he's got Elijah Moore coming into his zone. He's got Corey Davis getting healthy, and he's obviously got Garrett Wilson, who was a top ten pick. Like there's just nothing but talent uh, on offense on this Jets team. And he's smart enough not to to get himself in trouble or you know yanked from behind center. Like he he's able to just kind of play the game intelligently. And, and it showed today he threw it to like ten different receivers, three hundred what twenty five three hundred fifty yards, three touchdowns. Like that was an absolute baller performance. That that doesn't happen by chance. You know he's he's I think definitely worth putting on your roster. Yeah, sorry, I just got an alert. Um, one, one of my friends just got shiny in Pokemon, so that was exciting. And then also, Allen Robinson is out for the season, so. Definitely consider, uh, if you're not in a dynasty league, definitely consider dropping him at this point. So um, a lot of injuries. Jesus, that whole Rams team is just... That Rams team needs to shut it down. Yeah, but they can't because they don't have their first round pick. I guess like you get a higher second round pick at that point, but like that's not that helpful. Um, At my quarterback, I I like your Magic Mike one. Yeah, maybe he'll fall off, but he's definitely worth a flyer. At my quarterback, I like Sam Darnold. This is very clearly his last chance to be a starter in the NFL, and he needs to make a good impression uh, with all these quarterback needy teams that we're going to see this offseason. So he put in a pretty good debut performance for the Panthers. They won the game today. Um, He's able to get Deontay Foreman in spaces to make plays, and he made DJ Moore relevant, which is really, really hard to do for Carolina quarterbacks for some reason. So I like him as a streamer going forward. Yeah, sorry. just had to readjust myself there. Um, I would say, to me, Darnold, I think, is very interesting. Uh, and this is just in the realm of football, not a fantasy. I could see him being a 49er quarterback next year, right? Like, I could see the Niners not, like, just not being able to retain Jimmy G, him just saying, look, I'm a 25 mil, 30 mil a year quarterback, you know, when I go to the Super Bowl again type type mentality. And then they're, they're going to be already saddled to Trey Lance. So, you know, what better backup for Trey Lance than Darnold, who has similar skill sets in the sense that like Darnold's kind of sneaky athletic lunch pail kind of guy that um, can can use his legs but I think he's also got some true uh, quarterback you know kind of high quarterback upside that a Shanahan type coach could easily get out of him you know he, he's trying to get rid of the habits that Gase gave him and that's not easy so like sitting with Shanahan I think it could go a long way and, and I don't I wouldn't feel bad if he was my backup in San Francisco definitely Definitely. That'd be an interesting transaction, but I think it makes a lot of sense with needing someone a little more stable behind him. This is his fifth year, right? He's not extended or anything, so it's like he's going to be a free agent, I believe. Yeah, yeah, unrestricted, so I like that. Who do you have at running back for waiver wire pickup? This is going to be with the asterisks on where's ETN, but I'm thinking Jermichael Hasty. If nothing else, he's got receiving upside, and and like you said, they're going to be slinging the ball around because there's not a ton of running production out there, but He's had big games this season, or at least you know decent games for being to Michael Hasty, who's really just kind of a special teamer. Uh, but once E team went down, he was in the game pretty much the whole time. So I'd feel 
I'd feel okay taking a flyer on him, seeing if, if this continues. Maybe not start him next week, but just kind of see what that usage looks like as ETN is gone and, and see if you can't find him as a good flex play, you know, with these last few bye weeks coming up. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Uh, Jermichael Hasey's really explosive and he makes plays happen. So I think that he's worth a flyer. Uh, well, I'll be really curious to see how Daryl Henderson ends up getting played in Jacksonville, but I like that a lot. Uh, for my running back pickup, I have Zonovan Bam Knight, who I'm learning more and more about as the pod goes along. This is out of nowhere. He had not registered a single touch for the New York Jets up until this week, but then he popped off for 14 carries for 69 yards. Nice. Nice. Very very healthy average of 4.9. He's getting first downs. Arguably, um, his running back mate, Ty Johnson, might be a little bit more worthwhile, but if Zonovan Knight just off the street is getting 14 carries, it makes me very, very optimistic to see what he does going forward. Um, He didn't even crack 1,000 yards in college for a single season. He was an NC State guy, so maybe he's just a flash in the pan, but I think he's a worthwhile flash in the pan to pick up if you're looking for someone with a little more upside. No, he, he ran very hard today. He was excited to watch really explosive. Fresh legs, I think, you know, goes a long way when it's week 13 and, and he's got them. So I, I like the pickup. Yeah, especially for running backs. I'll go quickly with my wide receiver just because it's someone I mentioned before. Uh, hopefully you heeded my advice. Traylon Burks had um, another big day today. Granted, yes, a lot of it came from his fumble recovery in the end zone after a huge Derrick Henry play. But hey, the last few weeks, he's been looking amazing since he's come back from his injury, putting up 18 points last week and 17 points this week. He's getting a lot of targets, six, eight, and six in his last three weeks, and very clearly getting into this Tannehill run offense. Um, He has all the talent in the world, and he's so used to being a number one guy. Like, I watched him a lot whenever he was at Arkansas before he ended up being a first round pick and they would just force feed him. Like this is one of those guys that like did it all for that offense. We talked about Debo Samuel before that's basically like how Traylon Burks was used at Arkansas. And I just think he's a super dynamic player. And I really like how his matchups lead up over these next few weeks. They got Jacksonville coming up. They got Houston whenever you're in the fantasy playoffs. So I like Traylon Burks a lot and definitely pick him up in all formats. For sure. And then mine is going to be, um, you know, it's a second option, unfortunately. But if you're thinking Detroit Lions, it's like, okay, Amon Ross doubled. Who's the ball going to, right? And, and other than you, uh, obviously, I think most people would kind of like draw a blank. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, uh, what, Josh Reynolds, uh, DJ Shark. Like, you're not exactly just rifling off absolute studs here. But Jameson Williams has finally been practicing, coming back soon. Uh, he's worth stashing if you don't have him on your roster already. And I, I think he's just got an insane amount of upside on an offense that likes to throw the ball a lot. He's going to get, you know, second string, third string corners because Amon Ra is going to be getting a lot more attention. And he might be able to kind of have a really big uh, second or last fourth of the season, if you will, that, um, you know, having him on your roster could be huge. It, it could help you win the fantasy playoffs if it comes to, him really coming into his own, you can start seeing them, you know, feed him the rock a little bit. Yeah, this is one of the fastest guys in all of the NFL. And this is an offense that really needs a guy who can kind of take it over the top, especially now that we don't have TJ Hawkinson kind of filling that role anymore. A guy who can really run it over the middle. Uh, Jameson Williams also, it shocks me. He's only owned in 20% of leagues right now. And if you can pick him up right now, you can stash him in an IR. I really like this one. And he's been practicing. Like, he's ready to go. It's just a matter of when, not necessarily if. So I like this pickup a lot. Uh, yep, at, I, have, I have him in my my IR slot right now, so it feels good. Beautiful, well done, well done. That's smart. At tight end, I'm going Foster Moreau. 
Uh, it's kind of a long-standing guy that is in Oakland or Las Vegas right now. He's been the replacement for Darren Waller. He kind of disappointed previously, but he had a pretty big game today. Uh, it just, just if you need a tight end, he's worthwhile. Derek Carr seems to like him, and he got a touchdown today. So that's all you can really expect from a tight end at this point. Uh, my tight end's going to be uh, – gosh dang it, I can't remember Josh. his name. Josh oh. Oliver, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, to your point, we don't know how sticky this production will be, but he is getting more and more targets every game. Tight ends bleak. It's worth grabbing him now before he has another big game and you can't get him on your roster. Uh, so he's definitely like a stash. See what happens. If it goes downhill, drop him. If not, keep him around. Yeah. Also, we didn't mention him because the afternoon games were finishing up, but our boy who had been balling out over the last few weeks, Juwan Johnson had zero catches for zero yards today. The entire Saints offense had zero catches for zero yards. It felt like that team was abysmal today. Yeah, they got shut out like 13-0 by the Niners. All right, we're changing gears here. Now we're going over to 3ND, our NBA segment of the pod. It's basically just where we go over observations that we've noticed over the last week. I guess in this case, it's been just the last handful of days because they didn't play on Thanksgiving. But my number one observation that I've noticed is OG and Anobi. The small forward, or I don't even know if you call him a small forward at this point. He kind of does it all for the Toronto Raptors. Uh, this guy who's just so malleable, especially on the defensive end, has really picked it up another level for the Toronto Raptors. They've been missing a lot of guys lately. Fred Van Vliet has only played about half their games. Pascal Siakam has played less than half of their games. Those are like their two main all-stars. But Siakam's pushing it up a whole nother level. He's gone up to 19 points per game this season. His three-point shooting's a little bit down, but his free throw percentage is up. But the main thing that's been really encouraging has been his defensive statistics. Uh, Bill Simmons, who is a really famous guy within the NBA media space, uh, he came up with the statistic a long time ago. It's called stonks. It's steals plus blocks. And he puts them together and comes up with stonks. And basically the, the best thing that you can ever have for the stocks position or stock statistic is just getting it at like that four level and 4.0 per game. And OG and Obi is getting really, really close to that at this point. He has two and a half steals per game and over a block per game. So that's how you can really tell whenever you're just having a defensive monster sort of season. Um, he's been averaging healthily over three steals per game over the last few games. And it's just looking really, really like a lockdown type of guy, which is what we really wanted to see out of OG and Obi. We've really seen the offensive explosion kind of happen in the past. And now the defense is really starting to pick up as well. Um, truly career highs across the board. So really liking OG and Obi and might be a borderline all-star going into this all-star season. No, I, I like the uh, the name Stalks there. Uh, big, big defense guy. Back in the day for the Illini, it was the the Bruce Weber Mata score, which made no sense at all, but um, had to do with heart and hustle. For me, and I'm sure you saw the the play, but you know, Russ goes up for the layup, gets blocked hard by, hopefully you'll correct me on the name here because I cannot remember. Uh, has a bloody forehead and you know kind of lunges at him and and to me i was like man i think russ didn't escalate that fight enough like you know the, the teams had to break the guys up but i i think russ had every right to throw as many punches as he wanted after after that play and, and i love to see it if, if you're a lakers fan because at least it shows that there's some heart on this team that looks like they don't care like seeing that shows like these players still care a bit have some pride you know uh in the the name on the front and back of that jersey but I wouldn't have mind seeing Russ turn that into a boxing match because that was a that was a BS move there against the Spurs. 
Yeah, that was Zach Collins, the Thank big you. man for the Spurs. Yeah, they have beef going back multiple years now. They had a lot of big playoff matchups whenever Zach Collins was on his original team, the Portland Trailblazers, and when Westbrook was on the Oklahoma City Thunder. They had back and forth going on back then, too. So this might have been a little bit personal. So I honestly agree with this take. Uh, going forward with my last one here, this is more of just a league-wide sort of thing. It's just all of the parity that's been going down in the NBA this season. Been pretty crazy to see how close all the teams are at this point. The Dallas Mavericks right now are 9-9, nine and nine, and they're 11th place. And then if you go all the way up to third place, which is your New Orleans Pelicans, they're 11-8. and eight. Like that's a separation of only three and a half games on the Western Conference side. On the Eastern Conference, there's a little bit more separation, but it's still pretty dang close all around the board. There's no runaway team so far. So just going forward, I, I really am excited to see which team kind of ends up making a run. Uh, no one's really out of it at this point. Even like looking at like the Detroit Pistons, who are five and seventeen right now, they could reasonably still kind of get into that play-in sort of mix. So really fun season so far. I'm really excited to see how the rest of it plays out. And I think we might end up seeing some first-time NBA championship contenders, kind of like we saw the Phoenix Suns a few years ago get into the NBA Finals. I think there's some teams that could potentially make a first-timer for the first time in a long time. So yeah. kind of cool to see. What's better for the NBA, parity or super teams that you know are going to duke it out? Because like the the every year it's going to be the Warriors versus Cavs, although it was very obvious, I feel like it still led to really good television because – People wanted to see Braun versus Curry and, and, and all that. Um, I guess what's what's your thought process on it? They say within like the media sphere that it's better for dynasties to be in the league because that gets better viewership. I don't really care for the dynasties. Like I got so bored after the fourth or fifth iteration of Cavs versus Warriors, especially towards the end, whenever like the Warriors were just like a so much better of a team than the Cavaliers. I prefer like the new random teams. Those are always really fun to me, especially when they're like good. Like it's hard whenever it was like the Phoenix Suns, like everyone saw them getting wrecked going into that. Yeah, they went up 2-0, but like they just weren't a talented enough team to win the NBA Finals. But whenever it's like one of these like really talented teams that just really put it all together, like if the 76ers did it this year or like the Denver Nuggets did it this year, like there's some teams that are really quality and like those make for really good finals matchups in my mind, especially whenever it's a guy trying to get like a Dirk Nowitzki one only NBA championship sort of thing. Gotcha. I don't yeah. disagree. I kind of like that. I like seeing you know Dirk get one. I like seeing Giannis get one. It's it's more exciting than oh LeBron called up his three best friends and now their team's really good. Yeah, exactly. And it's like they actually put their team together. The the draft picks are really making things happen. The guys on the peripherals. It's really old. Whenever it's just like uh, one or two superstars and a bunch of scrubs who are making the minimum. So I like that a lot more too. Alrighty, for our hot take section this week, keeping it fantasy football centric with this one, we are going to predict the top five picks going into next season. I got pretty spicy with mine. I like a lot of yours too, but how about you run us through your top five and how you think the 2023 fantasy football drafts are going to look like? Yep. So after this year, uh, I, I think people are going to be much more accepting of early wide receiver picks. You know, Tyreek Hill's killing it. Justin Jefferson's killing it. Jamar before injury, killing it. You know, Jalen Waddle having a huge year. Like it, it's definitely, I think fantasy usually is a little bit more in line with with uh, the NFL but it hasn't been right it's been it's it's kind of been more running back focused I think it's finally going to catch up and be quarterback and receiver dominant with you kind of just saying okay I'll find a running back eventually um, so 
I for that reason my number two is a wide receiver, which is is almost unheard of. I feel like in in fantasy, uh, but I think people still won't quite make it to you know make the jump just yet. And I, I think the average number one overall is going to be CMC going into next year. Which wow, real hot take. He's been the number one for like four years in a row, but I, I think he's going to just kind of be the guy after you know this big season still being on the 49ers he'll he'll be the number one because it's just like you go running back number one overall but a, a close second and possibly like a a, a number one for some people is going to be justin jefferson so that's what i'm talking about having like higher wide receivers because before the number one wide receiver usually wasn't until like seven or eight i think people are going to be much more okay with it being at like the number two and number three pick number three saquon again you're gonna have someone thinking I got to get RB, got to get RB. And like, that's, you know, your next best guy. Uh, and then number four, I think it's going to average out to being Tyreek Hill. People are seeing just these monster wide receiver seasons. And I think people are going to start forcing zero, zero RB and try to get these absolute stud wide receivers while they can. Uh, and then number five, this one's going to be, you know, who is, you know, the, the absolute lights out best player at their position. It's Travis Kelsey. Uh, I think in, in, when we get to like a, a season and review type thing, the team that's going to be in the championship, it's like every championship or at least 95% of championships are going to have Travis Kelsey on the roster. Like his season this year is just so unbelievable. And, and no one in that tight end position is even close. Like he's like a top 10 fantasy player, but he's in the worst uh, roster slot on your fantasy roster. So like if you have Kelsey, it just covers up so much because you're able to waiver wire find a 12 to 15 point running back but you can only waiver wire and find a four point tight end versus kelsey who can get you 35 as a tight end like it, it's just the the cheat code that is travis kelsey i think people are seeing it even though he's going to be 34 next year and i probably won't be the person taking him top five i could see him going as top five on average yeah what what's the saying like broke the Campbell's back or whatever. Like, I think this is a season that broke the Campbell's back for the tight end position. I think people are so tired of tight ends just being abysmal and they're really ready for a guy that's a little bit more steady. If you will, if you pull up Travis Kelsey's like stat line, it's so apparent how different his stats are compared to everybody else's. Like his are beautiful. They're double digits every single week. He always has big games Everybody else is like so up and down or they just are way below par. So Travis Kelsey, I also have him in my number five slot. I don't think you can go any, anywhere lower than number five with Kelsey, honestly. Well, and I think enough people are getting burned by Kyle Pitts right now. They're getting burned by Darren Waller, George Kittle, etc. Yeah, like Because those people are the people that understand the relevance or how important it is to get a tight end, but are kicking themselves for just not paying up all the way. And I think it's going to overcorrect next year and people are going to be like, screw it. I didn't get Justin Jefferson. I'm getting Kelsey. Like, I think that's just going to be the mentality. It's like, there's going to be those people that still think it's got to go RB, RB in round one, two. Like, that's just kind of the old school mentality. I think anyone else that's kind of understanding more of the analytics of fantasy football and where your points are coming, I think they're going to either go, I'm getting Justin Jefferson, I'm getting Tyreek Hill, or like, I'm grabbing Kelsey. Like, I don't think there's going to be in my mind, I just don't know who else to go for. Like, if, if I'm thinking I get picks one through three, I, I'm ranking it Jefferson, Tyreek, Kelsey. Like, I, I just don't know who else you would go for. Yeah. Personally, I know I'm tired trying to chase that next Kelsey, and I'd rather just have the Travis Kelsey. Yeah, just, just have Kelsey, yeah. Exactly. Uh, I'm The only one that I'm really curious on with your top five is CMC at one. Like, low-key, he's kind of been getting outplayed by Elijah Mitchell last few games so do you think that recency 
will stick in people's minds or do you think people will see oh they gave up all this draft capital for cmc he's definitely worth that number one overall pick still i think he's got the brand value as well as just the overall performance that people are going to to stick with him i'm trying to find it right now like his his game today wasn't fantastic but he still is rb4 and that was with changing teams midseason i think people are going to say okay I trust Shanahan. I know Shanahan wants to run the ball a lot. CMC is the de facto RB1. And even with, like, as soon as Elijah went down today, like CMC was the only person that touched the field in the RB position. He's like an amazing safety blanket. So in full PPR, you know he's going to get five catches a game, it feels like. Um, it, to me, it's just like he's the obvious RB1. Like It felt like it was JT this year. Obviously, no one said no to JT. But CMC when healthy is just feels like a lock for 20 points. And, and that's kind of what you want out of your first overall pick. Yeah, CMC is just getting a little up there in age for me. And he also had that streak that he had going on for a while. I can't remember what exactly the number of games it was, but he had either 100 total yards or a touchdown and like, 30 straight games or something insane like that. That got broken over the last couple of weeks. So he'll be 27 next year. It's not that old, but it concerns me a little bit. Um, to the yeah, point where he's I also, my top five. He's the kind of guy that can get three touchdowns from three different ways, right? Like he had a, a receiving, a rushing, and a, th- a passing touchdown. Like that's that's something special. That's that's not everywhere. That's Walter Payton type stuff. Like he's just in a different category. And as the season progresses, and as he you know has success in the playoffs, that that leads to people overpaying for him in the in the off season. I gotcha. Yeah, I tried to do a lot in my top five of what I think people will do rather than like what I would do. Uh, I think Josh Jacobs will end up going fourth overall, uh, specifically for the reason that he'll be on a whole new team next year. It's very, very unlikely that he ends up with Las Vegas once again, one, because they're going to be tanking, and two, because they already declined the opportunity to sign him long term. He had a fifth year contract or fifth year in his contract that could have been picked up by the Raiders and they declined to pick it up. He's been insane this year. Uh, I don't know what he's going to be after this week, but he was RB5 going into this week. So very, very good chance that he gets picked very highly. He's still really young, too. Like, I think that's the thing that people discount. Like, oh, Josh Jacobs, he's been around the block a lot. Like, he's only 24 right now. So I think there's still a lot of opportunity. I think he'll get paid a lot. And because of that high pay, I think he'll kind of translate that into a lot of production. And I think that's going to be something that people keep in mind going into next year. Do you not like that? No, I think that makes a ton of sense. Um, he, I, I, I almost like discounted him being on a new team. I, I think if he was for sure on the Raiders again, we know his usage. And it's like that top five, you're picking guys that you know how they'll be used. Uh, to me, he's like back in uh, first round because we don't know what it'll be like on a new team. Like what if he goes to, um, gosh, I'm trying to think of like a, a reasonable team that he might end up getting picked up by. Um, I was thinking you know, like, in my mind, it was like, oh, what if he went to like the Buffalo Bills and they just got off of Singletary and they? Had yeah, there's no way he's a top ten. He's not a top ten, or there's no way he's a top ten pick at that point because to me, Josh Allen's been the absolute goal line vulture of of all their running backs, and you just you don't know how he'll end up being used. Like he obviously would get a lot of carries, but where and when, you know what I mean? If he goes to a contender, it like discounts him a little bit. He's good on the Raiders right now because they don't really have other great options outside of Devontae uh, Adams. So it, it, when you don't know, to me, that's when you don't get picked as highly. He's not going to be a 40 overall. Again, he's going to be around one or two, but I just don't know if top five is where he's going to go. 
Yeah, it'll also depend on like how these last weeks go. And yeah, it'll really depend on what that running back room ends up looking like. Uh, going into this year, there were a lot. There's a lot of competition, a lot of speculation on if it was going to be Zaire, if it was going to be Amir Abdullah. A lot of people didn't really know what his workload was going to look like. And he's really bucked the haters this year. <laughs> uh, my number three slot, it might be a little unconventional, but I think Bijan Robinson is going to go into the top three. Uh, this is a guy that we talked about in our college football preview. Uh, running back out of Texas, he might have the fewest holes of any running back that we've seen since Jonathan Taylor or even going back to like, oh, I don't know, like a Zeke Elliott in that top five. He's definitely not going to be a top pick because I think teams are smart enough not to do not to draft a running back that highly. But he's definitely going to be like a late first round pick worst case scenario a second round pick and if it goes to a running back needy team like kenneth walker had a little bit of competition going into this year which kind of deflated his value i think Bijan robinson's way better than kenneth walker and i think if kenneth if Bijan robinson goes into a situation where he'll be the clear clear number one don't really know where exactly that would be but like he would be incredible. He he's a complete package. He has zero holes, as I mentioned. He's been living up to expectations for another year with Texas, and from all uh, intents and purposes, a very very high character guy. I think Bijan Robinson is going to get a huge workload wherever he ends up going next year, and I think he'll be a very very valuable fantasy player. Yeah, I, th- I think he's going to be like Brees Hall, man. I I think he's going to go to like a Carolina Panthers or someone, you know, early second round. And people just aren't going to trust a bad team, even though he's a great fantasy asset. And he falls to like a 30th or 40th. And um, I think it works out for anyone that takes a chance on him. I just don't see someone taking him in the top five. I think CEH kind of burned people from ever taking an, an early rookie running back because you just don't know what's going to happen with them. And again, if you don't know, that's not like the first round is not where you're taking your lottery pick type chances. You're, you're doing it later with the high upside. Yeah, but, like, I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> you brought up uh, CEH. Like, CEH is just – it's so much of a level below where Bijan is. Like, Bijan's truly on that, like, Saquon Barkley type of level of player. And I have a very hard time seeing him going to a – I have a very hard time seeing him not succeeding in a situation right away. Like, if he went to, like, Chicago – pair him with Justin Fields and that might be the best backfield in all the NFL just because both guys are so dynamic so early on so I like him a lot I, I think you might be a little bit surprised maybe I'm conflating a little bit with like dynasty value but god Bijan is so freaking good at number two I once again went with a little bit on the youth factor the youth side of things and I think Jonathan Taylor will still be a top pick I have him second overall definitely have struggled a little bit this year had some bad games had the injuries and such but he's definitely shown over the last couple games that he's still healthy put up 24 points last week had 16 points against the phillies he's also played pittsburgh upcoming so i think that jonathan taylor will still get picked very highly um he's obviously going to get a lot of run and i think the colts just really need to figure out their quarterback and offensive line situation which is a tall order but i think jonathan taylor is just that dynamic and i think he'll still go really highly yeah, I think that's a good pick. I, I kind of credited people being burned by him this year as pushing him down a little bit. He's still definitely a, a round one pick, though. Yeah. 
And then at the top spot, for exact same reasons that you mentioned, I think Justin Jefferson goes first overall. I think because of the way that PPR and half PPR scoring works, Justin Jefferson is just a workhorse. And honestly, I could see a lot of leagues going back to like standard scoring or at best half PPR scoring because they're just wanting to have running backs still have some ziplines of value. So Justin Jefferson is the clear number one guy. I think if Jamar Chase was like, consistently healthy this year and could be relied on going forward i think he would also be in this top five but i think jefferson is just the clear number one at this point yeah i I know we had the same number five but i don't think you mentioned why you put uh kelsey as your number five i think he went straight to josh jacobs if i'm not mistaken i i just mentioned it whenever you were bringing up yours with travis kelsey it's just like so much better than the next best option and i don't really see that changing anytime soon there are going to be a lot of good young tight ends in this upcoming draft there's a guy out georgia um hours there's uh michael mayer the notre dame tight end who you may have seen this past weekend those are like grown-ass dudes like at worst i see them being like a zach Ertz at best like they're up there with the kelseys and the andrews pretty dang quickly so kyle pitts has that rookie receiving record they had like a thousand yards or whatever his rookie season like those could be in peril from those two guys too so keep in mind that as well so then i'm curious here if if this was just who you think your top five would be in full PPR, who do you go with? Because I, I would almost, I, you know, off the top of my head, I'm not sure, but I, I feel like the top five almost needs to be like the four best receivers in Travis Kelsey if it is full PPR. Because we're seeing this year that the receivers are just so dominant and teams are just so willing to say, you know what, screw it. You're going to get 15 targets a game because you're the guy. Like, like Cooper Cup, I think, could come back in here as long as the surgery goes well. Um, again, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Tyreek Hill. Like, I think those are all guys that you're not going to feel bad if you take your early pick on them. Whereas before, people were just so apprehensive to take an early round wide receiver. Yeah, if you look at the top five guys in terms of total fancy points so far this season, it goes going into this week. It's Stefan Diggs, Justin Jefferson, Eckler, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill. So four, three wide receivers, a running back, which has been very touchdown dependent, mind you, and then Travis Kelsey. So I think your logic really stacks up. The next guy right off that list as well is Devontae Adams, and then Cooper Cup fell off a little bit because of his injury. So I think that tracks very, very well. And I think a little bit of the logic of, oh, you can get a high quality wide receiver in like the fifth or sixth round. I think a lot of people got really burned on that because they went to get Alan Robinson and Darnell Mooney and a bunch of those guys that just like have not panned out because of injuries and other sort of situations. So I think the top guys get fed a lot. I think a lot of people are going to be wanting to go wide receiver and I'm definitely going to want to go wide receiver early on next year too, especially if it's just half PPR. I'll still do it with that. If it's just standard scoring, that will give me a little bit of pause. Yeah. I mean, do you think CD Lamb and AJ Brown are round one targets next year? Uh, yeah, probably. Uh, CD Lamb had that slow start and like AJ Brown's been really good, but I think he's been a little bit slower for fantasy and a little bit better for like real life. He had that real stinker against Washington a couple weeks ago, but I, I think he'll definitely be up there with a second round pick or something like that. I think people are going to be more willing to go wide receiver, wide receiver than ever before. Yeah, I think so too. It'll be very interesting. It'd be really cool to see a lot of people shifting that way and see if like either one someone is savvy by going rb rb or if it's just like the old heads that just never change get like the best rb value they've ever had and like are just like in in you know a prime position to always be doing well yeah the zero pp or the zero rb just worked out so nicely this year like you could have gotten jamal williams in like the 11th round and you'd be winning your league right now because he just gets so many touchdowns and so many high value rushes so 
it's just weird. It's so backwards in what we've seen in any previous year. Maybe it market corrects a little bit next year, but the wide receivers are just like way more valuable than running backs. And if we see imagine, a- I was gonna say, just imagine how good you'd feel if your two RBs were like Josh Jacobs and Ramondre Stevenson. Like you, you would be un- unstoppable if if you had three just you know first three round receivers backing them up. So like a Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill, which is a very possible one two that you could have done. Yeah, and then like maybe Amon Ra on the third, and then you went Jamal Williams and Josh Jacobs and Ramondre Stevenson in like seven, eight, nine or something like that, and you'd be stacked. Which like we can do this all day with hindsight and like what about ums and stuff, but God, like it, it just felt like this year the wide receivers are just so much better at the top, and the guys that you maybe are a little bit disappointed in, maybe like if you took Devonte Adams like ninth overall, like you don't feel that bad because he's still like the twelfth best player in fantasy this year, so it's pretty crazy this year. All right. I think that's a good way to end it. Um, a lot of fun on this one. And uh, we'll be getting back to our regular schedule most likely this week with our Wednesday preview pods and going back to Sunday recap. So I uh, hope everyone had a great holiday and uh, it's great talking with you all. Yeah, good to see you guys. Have a good one.